Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to listen. It's great to be with you again. And this morning's installment is just packed. It's just packed. Um, so I hope you are ready. Have your Bibles open to Ephesians. Um, have them ready. Have your fingers in 2 Thessalonians as well. There'll be uh, a reference or two from there. But uh, we're going to get straight into it. We saw last week in our introduction to the book of Ephesians that the book of Ephesians, thank God for the book of Ephesians because it just inflates the eternal purpose of God. It, it, it inflates it before us because we can lose it. We can lose sight of it. And this great eternal purpose in Christ okay, is tangible at the moment. It is presently saving sinners by grace. That's the second major theme. And having saved them by grace, it is uniting them in love in the church. That's another mega theme through Ephesians. This uniting, knitting people in love. All right. And, and to what end? To what end? A great end until all things are put under Christ. That is the great end. Friends, it is all going to end well for you and I by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. And Paul is just captivated by this. Um, as you could see, as we start in verse 3, he's just blurting out here, amazing, awesome. He's saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's like walking down the street and your friend is coming towards you and the first thing he says to you is, praise God, amazing, awesome. And, you, and the first reaction, the first question you want to ask him is, well, what? What is it? What? What are you talking about? You know, so Paul just blurts out, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, then we're going to unpack the what. what. What is it? What are you talking about, Paul? What did you see? Where have you been? What's happening? Is what we're going to unpack in this installment called Gloriously Blessed. Gloriously Blessed. Okay. So he's just boasting in the Lord. And for what reason? He's got great cause, by the way. And here's the great cause, because he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, right there, there's so, there's so much to praise God for, for who he is. Right? And just, and, and, and as we start this chapter, you've got to know that this praise that comes out of Paul, this praise is actually one sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. It's one long sentence. It, it's like he ignored the grammar rules. He's ignored structure, everything about grammar. And he's just blurted out one long sentence of praise. And now we're just going to break it up into a little small piece this morning um, in the beginning. What What is on his mind? Where, where has he been? What's happening? Well, he's just praising God. Uh, and let's unpack it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This God, our Father, I mean, if that's not praise enough, if that's not enough to praise God about, he says, this God, our Father, is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How great is our God? It's, it's, the, it's the ultimate praise of God. How great is our God? He our Father is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that just that just captivated him. He's so great. There's nothing greater than that. He, our Father, 
is in relationship to this Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that relationship? He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Who has blessed us. Alright? So, in Christ, there is this blessing. So, in other words, benefits God. Praise God. He's given us benefits, spiritual benefits. We're getting these benefits from the Father, who is the Father of the, the greatest Son ever. Now, what kind of benefits is the Father giving? And we'll unpack that. But this Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ are found these spiritual blessings. So, right now, friends, take a step back. Right now, today, but also in the heavenlies. So, while on earth, simultaneously in the heavenlies, there are benefits for us. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 6. 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So that means right now, beloved, in Christ, having received this gospel, where are you spiritually? Spiritually, your position is in Jesus Christ. You couldn't be closer to God because you are in Jesus Christ. Because you are in Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, you are just as close to God. What a blessing. Hallelujah. Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So right now, you have received blessings, benefits from God in order for you to meet that requirement. What's the requirement? His intent is that the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And you and I have been blessed enough to make that a possibility right now. Praise God. Praise God. There's another benefit. Chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there's this battle going on, but take heart, friends. Praise God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms. In other words, given us the benefits, not just of a new position, you know, and life, but also given us the benefits, the, the graces we need, the blessings we need to battle, to, forward, to make progress in this battle against these evil forces in this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what we have. Praise God. Paul is captivated by this. We have heavenly blessings, though now living on this earth, but vitally required in the heavenlies. And now how does the Father bring them to the Christian? How, how does He do that? How does He give us those blessings in our life and the position we have in Jesus and the battle we have? Well, it's evident. We have Jesus. You have these blessings because you have the Son. And he, he brings the Son out right in front of us. In Christ. You are in Christ, therefore you have these things. <laughs> in Christ you have all these things and so much more. These spiritual heavenly blessings are found in Christ. And in Christ you are, so you have them. They're not found outside Christ. 
They're not found anywhere else. They're found in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you have them. So, how can we not speak well of our Father, the Lord, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, there's just so much more. All right? So, he's praising God for all God is and all God has done. But he gets more specific now. What, what has God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ done for us? What, what work is that? Right? What work is it? Well, verse 4 starts. For he, this is why now he's just over the moon. What is it, Paul? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I'm just going to stop there. So I want to unpack these verses with a few questions, and the answers in the verses will help us. Okay, the first question is, what is the Father's work? Okay, we, we have this salvation. What exactly is that work? And Ephesians tells us about our salvation. It's going to open our minds to exactly what it is. Remember last week we were talking about the story, uh, the, the cricket ball hit the bat. There's so much more to the story. There, well, there is so much more to your story of repenting and believing. There is salvation. And what was God's work in that salvation? So much more to the story. Okay, here it is. Paul's, this is why he's just outside his mind. For he chose us. That's a powerful word. And that's purposeful. In other words, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all right, made a purposeful choice. Okay? Thought went into this choice. This isn't fatalism. This isn't something mechanical. This is something deep, something thoughtful, something personal. Okay? God was the one who made the choice and chose you and me. And as a result of that choice, we are holy people and faithful. And that's all because of God. God acted for himself with himself, to himself. Romans eleven forty six, Right? This is God being consistent. God is acting for himself. But just this thought process, this choice is for his own interest. And it's always been God's interest, no matter what he chooses, Old Testament, New Testament, corporately, privately. His choices are personal. He's very involved. He's very interested. And he's very consistent. So the idea is God and God alone, God alone, in other words, sovereignly, he's, been, he's acted sovereignly over this choice. No one else is ruling over this choice, right? No one else has influence over this choice. There are no conditions to this choice. He is free to choose and does so, and it's not tied to anything anywhere. He says there, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then he, he describes this choosing to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 5. In love he predestined us. So what kind of choice was this? How, what does it look like, this choice? He predestined us is the word that he used. 
okay, to describe it a bit more. He chose us, yes, but exactly how? He predetermined what he was going to do and that we would be sons and daughters, that, would we, that we would be adopted. That is our predetermined destiny, being sons and daughters of God by his choice. The same word is used a bit later on in the chapter, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Right. So Ephesians 1 is inflating before us this choice of God. This is the work of salvation. It was a choice God made without any attachments, without being influenced by anyone else. Even you. You weren't even there. This was God's choice. God's choice alone. And this choice, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Everything is attached to this Jesus story. He chose us in him. So before the creation of the world, who's with God when this choice is made? Jesus Christ is there. In other words, there's Jesus, there's God, and there's you and I, and his concern is that he, us, and him are one. This is God's desire. All along, it's been God's desire to put us together. That's salvation. Big story. When did God act? Well, it says that before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, way before you and I even existed, way before even the base of the world was laid. God, why? We weren't even there. That's the point. Nothing in our lives had any influence in His choice of you and I. Nothing of our behavior, good or bad, Nothing of our circumstances, nothing of our pedigree, nothing of our legacy, nothing out of our of our inheritance, nothing. It was just God and His thoughts and His desires. It was all about Him. All about Him. And that's always been the emphasis. There's no influence on His choice. God simply chose at a time when the only influence on His choice came from him how does this help us this helps us immeasurably because it humbles us you and i don't make choices like this we make choices based on worth or lack of on the object that we're choosing we base our decisions on the quality or lack of the quality on what we're choosing right but aren't you glad aren't you so glad praise god god doesn't make choices like we do <laughs> Aren't you so glad that God's way of choosing is king and not mine? And that's what we've got to get into our heads. God's choices are best. God's decisions are best. Get that in your head. And the quicker we get our choices in line with the way God chooses, the better. But praise God, He made that choice. It was a good choice, amen? I'm really glad for the way He chose. Because if if you look down the tunnel of time, what did he see? What was he going to see? Well, 
He saw it, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, following the ways of this kingdom and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what God saw. But praise God, He chose to save you and me. I'm so glad. What was God's aim in choosing us? For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Here it is. Why? To be holy and blameless. Where? Especially in His sight. I want you, me, Christ together and I need you, want you holy and blameless in my sight. This is my concern. Holiness. I, I, I have this desire, my aim in choosing you, in electing you, in predestining you is that you be set apart for me, reserved for me, used by me, blameless. There, there be, you would not be lacking in blame. No fault, no blemish, especially in my sight. This is what God has been thinking all along. In this grand eternal purpose in Christ. And as he thinks of you and me, this is what he wants. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. But this is His aim. His aim is to make you holy. Okay, that's his emphasis. And he says there, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. This is all in an atmosphere of love. All of this predestining, this choosing, this sanctifying and working of holiness and blameless is in a pool of love. Love is all on the Father's mind. Yes, He wants you to be holy. Yes, He wants you to be, to be blameless. Yes, He wants you in His presence. But it's all in love. In love. I have to ask the question, how central is holiness in our minds and in our hearts? How central is it? Because here we have holiness and blamelessness in the center of God's mind. This, is, this was... In the center of his mind when he chose you, predestined you in Christ Jesus. For what end? This end, to be holy and blameless in his sight. It sits squarely there in this choice, in this salvation, in this Christianity, in this thing you're doing called Christian faith at Toti Baptist Church. In the center is holiness and blamelessness. Where is it in your heart? Because this is God's goal. This is Christ's ambition all along. You're caught up, you're swept up into this great eternal purpose, saved, knitted together, moving to be under Christ's feet. But don't let holiness escape you because that's the reason for it all. And I have to say, I have to say, unfortunately, 
unfortunately, the people that understand election the best don't. I'll say it again. The people who understand predestination and election don't understand predestination and election. You know why? You know why? Because there's no love. Or there's no holiness. It's, it's, it's like that. They have all the answers. They have all the theology. But you look at their personal life. You look at their family life. It's a big mess. There's no love. There's no holiness. They separate the two. Friends, holiness and election hand in hand. The fruit of election is holiness. And it swims in a pool of love. If you understand election and predestination, you'll understand that at the center of election and predestination is holiness. And the aroma is love. And if you miss that, you don't understand election, nor do you understand predestination. And why is it, friends, that we have all the theology, no holiness, and no love? God help us. God help us. Praise God. This is what He's done. This is His end in mind. And this is what we've been caught up into. Thank God for Ephesians, friends, because it reminds us and it holds us accountable to this aim. Amen? This is where we're walking towards. This is what we're aiming for. Okay? And how does this predestination, this election, affect our relationship with God? It just gets better. Look at the next word in verse 5. He predestined us, here it is, for, beautiful thing here, adoption to sonship. Your relationship before God has significantly changed. Significantly changed. You are now adopted a child of God. You have let go of your first father. What was your first father? Ephesians chapter 2 told you. The father, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That was your first father. Your first father was the spirit, okay, who worked disobedience. All right, your first father had a will for you. That was to gratify the cravings of your flesh and to follow the desires and thoughts you had. Right? That was your first father. You have cut that, and now you are pursuing the will of your new father, your adopted father. And this is our privilege. This is our right. We have a new place of privilege. And this is all in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've been blessed in him. We have been adopted in him. And it's all leading to be in Him, in the fullness of Christ. So the predestinating work of the Father that turns us into His children is beyond compare. What else is like this? What else is like this? And you know what's guiding God along this course, this process? Let me tell you, it is not a God who is grimming over this process because the Ephesians tells you here it is at the end of verse 5 through Jesus Christ comma in accordance with his pleasure and will in accordance in other words this has been guided by pleasure this has been guided by joy this has been guided by love by generosity by compassion, by personal kindness. That's what's guiding this whole process. It's not God forcing himself. It's not God having his arm bent behind his back and now compelled to do something. He's very willing. He's still willing. And it's a joy to him to make enemies 
children. That makes him smile. I mean, it would seem to me that adopting wildly disobedient children, which we were, would be pretty unpleasant. Hmm? But Ephesians 1 verse 5, thank you Ephesians, is telling you that he's not watching grimly over the unfolding of his will. It's the opposite. He is smiling over us. And he enjoys sharing his son, sharing his blessings, his riches, his graces to his children, his benefits to all his children. Amen. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the standard that his predestinating work must measure up against? What's the standard? Verse 5, in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's his own internal standard, his own divine kindness. Now this is very important. God's kindness towards you is not guided by your good or bad behavior, your good or bad morals, your your much or less knowledge of him. How many times you go to church? How many Bibles in the how many Bibles how many verses in the Bible you've memorized? Get this straight, Christian. Get this very straight because we can turn this upside down so quickly. The standard of his predestinating work all right, the measure to which this is all going accordingly with is his divine kindness, his character. It's all based on who God is and nothing to do with you. He is not moved to kindness because you are kind. He's not moved to blessing you because you have blessed. He's not moved to being generous to you or anything in that matter. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more. Nothing. It's not about you. Ephesians 1 verse 5 tells you, in accordance with whose, not Ivan's pleasure and will, not your pleasure and will, but God's pleasure and will. Praise God. Praise God. And where is he ultimately going with all this? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he Loves. This is his ultimate aim. At the end of it all, of all this work through predestination and election, the aim is that his grace would be seen for what it is. It is glorious. It is splendid. It is radiant. Not one of us was present at the time of his choice. We couldn't sway him before time, even though in time we would be proven to be sons of disobedience. That's grace. That's glorious grace. And this whole process is guided by guided by His pleasure and will. All praise to God's grace. All glory to God's grace. Hallelujah to God's grace. From birth, all I have proven is to be a child of wrath. But His choice has secured me and my future. Oh, glory to God. That's right, Paul. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't be said any better. But he's not finished. He's not finished. To the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Who's that? 
It's all connected to Jesus. His blessings are found in Jesus. He chooses in His Son, Jesus. He adopts us through Jesus. He gives us grace through Jesus. We benefit much from this work, primarily, squarely, centrally, because of Jesus Christ. We are blessed because of Him. And so we boast in Him. Praise God. Now, why does this affect me today? Well, it should change the way you worship. At least it should renew it. It should keep it aligned. Your worship before God. It should humble us. Lift Him high and put yourself down. Election makes us think much more of God and His grace. Amen. Election makes us think much more of His choice, not our choices. Election makes us think much more of our, His behavior than our behavior. His knowledge more than our knowledge. Much more about Jesus than, than about us. Much more about His grace being glorified than me being glorified. We weren't even present in this work. It's not about you. So it makes us think less about ourselves in the right ways. And makes me think much more of God's grace in the right ways. It humbles me and exalts God's grace in my worship. Ephesians 1, 1 to 6 should also strengthen your battle against sin. As we are reminded of God's purpose. What's God's purpose in this Christian faith? God's aim is holiness and blameless. That standard has not changed. It is not watered down. There are no small terms and conditions attached. It's there in your Bible, in the book of Ephesians by Hallelujah. Right? That we are to be holy and blameless. And I'm quoting, Election does not carry a man halfway only. It carries him all the way. It does not bring him to conversion. It brings him to perfection. It, purposed to him, it, it purposes to make him holy. It cleanses from all sin and separates him to God and to his purposes. It makes him faultless without blemish, whatever. Like perfect sacrifice. So listen. In your battle with sin, preach this to yourself, first and foremost, this grace reality that before time it was His purpose to make you holy and blameless. That was His promise in making a choice of you, that you would be holy and blameless. He chose us in Him to be holy and blameless. In love, your fight against sin starts with you preaching this to yourself and believing that and trusting your life in that promise. God has promised to make you holy and blameless. Do you believe it? That's where our battle begins. It begins in the mind. Okay, so that's where it begins. It doesn't start with, oh God, I'll never do that again. Oh God, I need more accountability. It starts with this promise that's central to your election. He will make you holy and blameless. That's where it starts. It's based on that that God has chosen you and He promises to make it real. So, men, when was the last time you said to God, especially when you're facing temptation, I simply want to trust in your election promise to me. Ladies, when was the last time Especially with temptation. You say to yourself, I simply want to trust in your election promise 
to me. Just trust in that. Believe in that. Have faith in that. And then lastly, friends, this should mobilize us to get on mission. Okay? <clears throat> this is God's great eternal work. And presently it is moving, making movements between, uh, in every country, on every continent. God is moving, saving sinners who are dead in their sin, making them holy and blameless. This is God's great work. And it is having success. And it has success when we preach this gospel. God has chosen that when we preach this gospel, He will save. That's why evangelism is successful. God has designed mission and predestination to work together. You are part of that. And as we preach God's word, God saves those who have been elected. That's God's big idea. It wasn't my idea. He put those two together. So, He's done this great work. We have a part to play in it. We put them together and we get on mission. We preach. We evangelize. We share God's word. And those whom God has chosen will be saved. Will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for opening up before us this great, great story. One aspect of it so big, it's hard to get our minds completely around it, Lord. But Lord, thank you for the fresh, fresh spoken word about our repentance and our belief. Thank you, God, for the fresh insight on exactly how we worship, exactly what we're to say to others, and exactly how we are to face sin squarely. Thank you, God Almighty, for the strengthening. Thank you for the new resolve. Thank you for the promises, God. As we've looked at your great, great work, Father, would it captivate our minds? Would it take hold of our hearts forever? Would we forever be trying to discover what this great work was? And how it applies to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in you we have everything. In the heavens and on earth. What a privilege. What a delight. To be the objects of such glorious blessings and grace. And Father, as we are so captivated by this work, would it come out of our mouths and out of our lives, out of our attitudes and our behaviors and our relationships? Would it extend to every facet of our lives from this day forward? Would it be the thing that people ask us? What? What is it? Praise God. Praise God for His goodness. Amen.